Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Big Ten Hoops Weekly Show. This is Steve here with Brett, and it, it's been a while, hasn't it? It, it has. Uh, you know, I know we, we, we kind of went back and forth on, on when to do these episodes, but things just kind of kept happening, and the, and the portal now is obviously kind of this entity into and of itself that it made sense, I think, at least, for everything to settle down for a little bit. Uh, and it definitely wasn't due to the fact that we're both just very busy people and, and you know, couldn't quite get a time together to record. But I think now that the dust has settled to some degree, it uh, it made a lot of sense to kind of update, update the fans, update the people on uh, exactly what's been happening in uh, in the world of Big Ten basketball. Yeah. And as as we talked about the last time we met, it was it was probably seven or eight weeks ago at this point. Frankly, a lot of a lot of Big Ten Teams and Big Ten fans ended the season with a with a sour taste in their mouths. Um, so you know, I, I think it's it's been good for you know ev- everyone involved with college basketball and the Big Ten to kind of have have a break at least mentally for for the last little bit of time. But I, I I hate to say it, but there there wasn't a lot of good news that came out of either the the coaching carousel or the transfer portal for um, much of the Big Ten, but uh, th- there was a lot of news that came out. And so what we were hoping to do here was um, get you up to speed on some coaching news, talk about all that's gone on with the transfer portal. We won't be able to talk about everything that's gone on, but we'll try to hit the biggest, uh, the, the biggest noteworthy moves. And then believe it or not, one of the most exciting days of the year in sports is nearly upon us. And that's NBA draft day. And we've got a ton of, not, not a ton, but I'd say more than normal um, in terms of the number of uh, Big Ten guys that are probably going to go in the first round. Um, you're not going to see – I don't know that we'll see anyone, honestly, crack the top ten. But there are a lot of guys that will go probably, I don't know, from 13 to 30. Uh, there's, there's probably six or seven guys that will go there. So um, we wanted to at least whet your appetite a little bit on that. But I, I will say one kind of note before we – we jump right in. Uh, we will probably do a, a draft preview in the next uh, three to four weeks before uh, the NBA draft kicks off um, to do a little bit more of a deep dive into the draft and and talk about other transfer portal ha- stuff that happens between now and then. Hopefully this will be a little bit lighter. Um, you know, we're not going to talk about games. We're not going to talk about previews. We're just going to talk about how some of the chess pieces have, have shaken out over uh, the last two months here and, and get you ready for the NBA drafts. We'll start off on the coaching front. Um, so the, the one big piece of coaching news that transpired was uh, Micah Shrewsbury, who probably had one of the most like successful two-year runs in recent history at, at Penn State um, with a strong showing in the tournament this year. He is out. Um, I don't think this surprises too many people because he had been, he had been, rumored to be um, in the running to replace Mike Bray at Notre Dame, just given his, his uh, familiarity with the area um, and, and ties there. Um, but he's, he's heading to Notre Dame, um, leaves Penn state a little bit in the dust. Um, and so they turn around and hire uh, Mike Rhodes from VCU. Mike Rhodes, sort of a, a Pennsylvania guy has a lot of connections to the area and I think we'll be very familiar with the recruiting ground there, just given given those ties to the air, area. Um, and and he comes kind of a, as a a defense first guy, which Penn State was you know 
pretty good at defense, but I think that the, the big difference that we're going to see in Penn State's team you know, going forward is, is they went from one of the slowest teams in terms of pace under Shrewsbury. They're, they're going to be they're going to be fast and they're going to be chaotic on defense. But Brett, what were your initial reactions to the, the Mike Rose news at, at Penn State? Um, so, yeah, I think first off, you mentioned uh, Micah Shrewsbury is one of the more successful for like, you know, two year uh, runs in, in Penn State basketball history. So I just looked this up and um, the last coach at Penn State to have a winning record in his first two seasons was John Bach, who I believe was a Bulls assistant during the 90s. His first two years at Penn State in 1968 and 1969 were both winning years, and those are the that's the only time since then that a uh, new head coach has had has strung together two consecutive winning seasons to start his tenure. So, yeah, I you know I I I, I definitely feel for uh, all of our Penn State fan listeners, um, but not the not the Penn State fans that don't listen to this podcast. You should know better. But yeah, so it's 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 been a rough couple decades uh and it obviously hurts to see a coach as good as Micah Shrewsbury in kind of an environment where he could succeed move on I think that the way that Shrewsbury's kind of um your recruitment to Notre Dame played out did kind of have some downstream effects as to how Penn State was able to kind of find their next guy Um, but I think especially given the circumstances they did really well to end up with Mike Rhodes um you know, he's he had a, a successful six year tenure at Virginia Tech. And and like you mentioned, Steve, he, he's his teams are entirely predicated on defense. Um, You know, they've had some some rough offensive years, but they've been in the top 20 in uh, in Ken Palm in defensive efficiency the last three years. And he's he's been to a few different tournaments. He's, he's really coached some good players. And we'll kind of talk about that when we get to the transfer portal stuff, because uh, some of those guys are going to be joining him. It will it will look very different than the kind of Penn State we saw. Um, last year, especially just because Jalen Pickett will be gone. Seth Lundy will be gone. Um, you know, a lot of their, basically their entire team is going to get an overhaul, but you're getting a coach whose teams play disciplined basketball, um, and will really, really lock in on, on the defensive end. And I think, um, especially kind of given the way that the coaching carousel worked this off season, um, Mike Rhodes is a really good hire that, that knows the area, like you said, and, uh, will, Definitely not be unfamiliar with uh, how to coach in the style, a preferred style of Big Ten basketball. Yeah, and I, I think to that note on style, I mean, I, I think in terms of emphasis on defense, he'll fit in perfectly. But I think at least at VCU, the level of athleticism that um, his teams had, I, I think is a, a little bit unique, um, is, is going to be a little bit unique compared to compared to like what your average big 10 team looks like um he's he's got dudes that can um you know they run deep lineups um you know they a lot of shot blockers um and you know and and a lot of speed which that's not to to say that there aren't big 10 teams that have those traits but i think he's going to over index on on those qualities you know he's a um a student of you know, that, that shock of smart VCU style of controlled chaos or whatever you want to call it. He was an assistant um, under Shaka during um, his tenure at, at VCU. Um, and so, you know, I think the thing that he's going to have to deal with right now, just in his first year is that their, their roster is barren. I mean, the, the cupboard is completely empty. Um, all the recruits that Penn state had on, on tap coming in this year, I think have asked out of their, um, letters of intent, and he's essentially going to have to rebuild his roster through the transfer portal this year. 
However, I think he's going to recruit Eastern Pennsylvania really, really um, strong. And I, I think whether Penn State fans like it or not, he is here to stay because he has a $15 million buyout on that seven year. I think it was a seven year, like 30 ish million dollar contract that he just signed. So you can see they don't want to get burned by someone again. They are going for staying power with this move, someone that's going to be loyal and someone that's going to really help build this program up from the 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 bottom up. Um, and I, I think he could have staying power as a result. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think you mentioned that the, the years and the dollars and it's something Penn State had to do. I mean, I don't think I'm making a super controversial statement that, you know, pre, especially pre Micah Shrewsbury, Penn State was not a very attractive job. In fact, if you told me before Shrewsbury got hired that their next coach was actually going to be a sitting head coach, um, you know, that's I, I wouldn't have believed you. I mean, Ed DeCellis left Penn State to go to Navy. Like it's not not that recently um, or not that far, not that far, you know, in the past. So I think, you know, you, you get a guy that uh, hasn't really moved around a lot. I um, mean, this is his third head coach, D1 head coaching job. Um, and he's kind of, you know, obviously now in the power five, it's a big difference. Um, and I think that they, they had to do that to really lock in kind of that staying power. Um, and I think they got the right guy for that job. It might take, you know, a year or so to, for him to, you know, be able to recruit effectively, but you know, we're going to talk about, he brought a couple guys over. He's gotten some transfers. Um, and I think, I think all things considered without Shrewsbury, uh, they, I think Penn state made a, a very solid hire. And on that note, let's talk about the transfer pro- portal um, because that's probably what's drawn the biggest headlines out of the big 10 um, in the last couple of months here. Um, you know, let's, let's start at the top. I believe the number one player that entered the transfer portal, according to most rankings was Hunter Dickinson of Michigan. He has left Michigan for Kansas. Um, you know, I think in some ways, interesting move given that, you know, two of um, Michigan's top players from their team last year, Kobe Bufkin and Jet Howard both declared for the draft. Um, seems like, Hunter wanted no part of what's going to be likely another down year um, for them, given what they have to replace. What were your initial thoughts on Dickinson choosing to leave the conference? I feel like I was both surprised and not surprised, Um, especially, you know, he's obviously never been one to hold his tongue in any real situation ever. Um, And I think the interesting thing is that his, his, NIL package last year was room is according to him less than a hundred thousand dollars, which is pretty nuts for a, a player. And you can, you can feel free to jump in if that's not true, but you know, for a player of his caliber, you know, pro prospects, you know, whatever. But I think of a player of his, a college player of his caliber, um, it, that's not exactly the going rate, uh, depending on who and what you read. So I, I understand that, especially given his potentially limited pro outcomes in the United States. Um, I think that it made sense to go just find the biggest amount of money he could and and go from there. Um, especially when you read about guys like Oscar Shibway getting clearing $2 million last year. I, it, it is interesting. I think like there's a lot to be said for having two lottery picks, two potential lottery picks declare uh, for the draft um, and kind of where Michigan's roster is headed for next year, that's that's a topic for a different podcast. So I I understand the the draw of other programs. I understand just needing a change of scenery, right? Like, you know, he's he's been at Michigan for three years. He has not really developed necessarily in the way that he or Michigan fans might have hoped uh, at both ends of the court. And I, 
you know, I, I understand why he would want to go somewhere where he doesn't always need to be the guy all of the time. Um, I don't know what that says about his mentality towards the, the game of basketball, but he also landed at Kansas. And I think that, you know, Bill Self is a hell of a coach and uh, we'll be able to get a lot out of him, especially given the the pure talent that Kansas is bringing back next year with a huge hole in the front court that he's able to fill. I think that was very well said. I think it's one of those things that probably works out for both parties involved. I think Michigan programs in a little bit of transition right now. Um, and while he would have raised their ceiling for sure, I think even just stylistically with the way the game's moving, I don't know that I don't know that his back to the basket kind of slower game would have worked for a team that's trying to carve a new identity. Whereas I think with Kansas, they'll be able to slot him in and um, find a role for him on, you know, however, whichever type of way that that team chooses to play from from that. Let's talk about Illinois. So um, Illinois, we talked at length last year just about how up and down their program was and two critical departures that you know, were um, very relevant. I, I mean, calling them rotation players is probably an understatement, but, you know, Jaden Epps and R, RJ Melendez are, are both out out at Illinois. They're essentially both like high, high value starters. Um, and, and to me, that moves interesting. Now, again, you know, I, I think Terrence Shannon out, you know, a lot of roster turn there, you know, the, the thing with Sky Clark uh, early in the year, um, I think they're, there's all all of the um, way things played out with Illinois pointed to the fact that something wasn't right in the locker room there uh, last year. Uh, but were, were you surprised to see two guys that, you, you know, I would have expected to be on the verge of like, I mean, anywhere from like top 30 to top 20 players in the conference um, to, you know, if, if things shook out well, especially for Melendez, I mean, maybe looking at like an all conference team next year. I mean, especially just given the town, the rest of the conference, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, both of these teams thought the pastures would be greener elsewhere. What both of these players thought the pastures would be greener elsewhere. What did you think of um, these two guys leaving Illinois? I, yeah, like you said, I was surprised, especially kind of the rumors you read about the NIL money flying around down there. Um, it, it did not make a lot of sense, um, especially Melendez going to Georgia. I mean, I, he's from Florida, so maybe it was a wanting to get back home sort of thing. Um, and I, you know, I think I think when we look at how Illinois' season kind of ended up last year, and there's a lot to be said about that, as you alluded to. Um, I, I think Melendez had somewhat of a disappointing season. Uh, I think compared to what our expectations were, um, you know, he he wasn't utilized as much as maybe we would have thought. Kind of as as Underwood had to juggle some rotations. But Epps is a guy that that really couldn't have asked for for more opportunity, especially once Sky Clark left the team. Um, you know, he was he was a starting point guard. Uh, he was getting a, a lot of opportunity um, and he, he was playing pretty well, especially for a freshman kind of adjusting to to the Big Ten. Um, I, I kind of get the appeal of Georgetown in the new Ed Cooley era. Um, I think that that's, you know, if Patrick Ewing was still the coach, then it would be a different conversation. So I, I guess I get it if if he really thinks that, you know, that's going to be a better situation for him. Um, but I think like like any like you had alluded to, I think there's a lot of questions to be asked in terms of and I'm not an Illinois insider by any means. So I have no idea. But you know, you, you do kind of have to wonder about the locker room and, and, and Underwood there. I think it's it's been a a churn of of transfers and you don't really see a lot of 
guys kind of playing out their their scholarship limit there. So you kind of got to wonder if they think they're getting better coaching elsewhere or if there's just a bad culture there. Yeah, could, could not agree more. I think they're similar to Michigan. Um, and you know, they had a, a better year than, than Michigan did last year. But, I mean, I think they're trending down for next year, which is going to be a theme that I think we'll talk about with a lot of a lot of teams, frankly, from a from a talent standpoint. Another interesting move that I think involves, you know, a, a pretty um, high caliber Big Ten um, rotation player from last year. Um, Cam Spencer is out at Rutgers. Um, and, and that's surprising for a couple of reasons. I mean, he seemed to be um, glue guys, the wrong word, but I, he really made an impact last year. I think, you know, his his biggest play of the year was that shot that he hit in West Lafayette just after New Year's early in the season to to go ahead bucket to beat Purdue uh, late in the in the game there. And he. Um, you know, Rutgers had a lot of injuries last year, and obviously their season ended in disappointments where most experts had them in the tournament going into Selection Sunday, and they were mysteriously left out. So I think, you know, yeah, I, I would I would imagine that the, the feeling at Rutgers right now around their basketball program, there's still some sting from that. But, I mean, I, I thought, again, like Cam Spencer – would have had a shot at like being an all conference two guard, just given the dearth of given the mass exodus of talent from last year and the dearth of talent coming in. Um, I, I don't believe he's committed to another school. Has he? Uh, no, he is not. Uh, there yeah. are there. The, the rumors are kind of floating around to some pretty high profile programs. So Georgetown, UConn, Indiana, even Texas, Miami, and I mean, the, the big thing, it's NIL money. That's that's kind of the I mean, I've, I've only been able to do a little bit of research on this. But, uh, yeah, I, it's um, he's kind of after, you know, getting some money. And I again, I I am fully OK with all these kids going and doing that. I think, you know, the the, the that that is a whole nother podcast episode. I'm sure we could talk forever on. But I mean, it, it does seem like even with guys like putting out putting guys out into the world like Geo Baker and, and, you know, Ron Harper Jr. and kind of guys that were like kind of at the forefront of the NIL movement, uh, which is awesome. Um, their Rutgers itself has not uh, been able to collect the funds necessary, but um, it apparently, yeah, Cam Spencer has received some, some big offer. Um, it, uh, you know, there's, it, it, obviously there are tampering issues given transfer portal stuff, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what it seems. And in his, potential list of suitors would kind of indicate teams that have or programs that have uh cash lying around. Yeah, I think watch watch Indiana cuz I think that would be an interesting sort of interconference move there, but uh, I mean, I thought he had, a, he had a great opportunity he had a great opportunity next year to be I mean, the best player on Rutgers arguably. Um and I I know, you know, we're I think we in just everyone in college basketball right now is still getting used to the new reality of how the transfer portal um, works and the impact of NIL and how that all plays a role into this. But I mean, I think just like we've talked about with the last two examples, it's essentially turning into glorified free agency. Um, And, you know, you just, you have to think about player development differently. Um, And because, because Cam Spencer, he transferred in at the beginning of last year and acclimated himself pretty well 
Um, I thought there would have been a, a lot to build on, but uh, no, yeah, with the opportunity to get paid, um, I think the thing that maybe differs him from some of the other guys we've talked about, you can literally plug and play him anywhere just because he's a shooter. He'll fit in any offense. He can knock down big shots. He's not afraid. And, um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, he doesn't need the ball to, to succeed. And I think final four caliber teams to even, you know, teams trying to make tournament, anyone will take a player like that. And I think that's why he's getting so much attention. I think one other individual team that I think we wanted to just call out, we, we talked about a lot of teams that have looked like they're trending down so far, but um, Ohio state, um, I, I don't necessarily want to say that they're trending up because they lost a lot of talent. Um, no, a lot of veteran talent uh, too, but they picked up probably the most impactful intra-conference contributor in bringing over Jamison Battle from Minnesota, who sort of fled the the muddy waters that he's had to deal with over the last couple of years there. Um, you you pair him with Bruce Thornton. I mean, like this is this is it's going to be like a weird comment, but like other than other than maybe like Michigan state, is there like a scarier duo um, of anyone else in the conference than, than Thornton and battle at Ohio state? It's, it's a good one. I mean, I, I think we saw, we saw James, we saw like the, the very like peaks and valleys of, of Jamison battle. I think over the last two years, like, I think there's no doubt in anybody's mind that he's a, a talented scorer. It looked like he, you know, down the stretch this year was kind of playing himself into position to transfer somewhere else. I think he was kind of like, a let, let me just score because I know we're going to lose this game anyways. Um, and, you know, that's fair. Minnesota's kind of a mess right now. Um, but I think, yeah, the way that Battle is able to play off the ball and the way that Thornton, especially down the stretch of this season, was really able to set the table for for his teammates um, was is is a very interesting one two combo. Um and I mean, you know, you, you bring in Dale Bonner too, um, from Baylor, and he's obviously got a lot of talent. Evan Mahaffey from Penn State is is very intriguing, switchable guy. Um, and you know, I mean, they're losing a lot of talent too. Like we have to, you know, and we'll talk about this obviously when we preview the season once everything kind of settles down a little more. But yeah, I think given, especially given the the off season that they had last year, uh, in terms of just not being good, um. I think Chris Holtman did a lot to really bolster that lineup uh, in a way that I didn't necessarily think was possible uh, after that last season. So those I, I'd say were probably the the three to four biggest I mean headlines as far as transfer portal stuff across the conference. But that by no means covers everything that happened. I mean, Brett, maybe any noteworthy either departures or newcomers that you want to call out before we move on to the draft yeah so just a couple i think hakeem hart leaving maryland is a really you know it's a bummer for maryland fans i think he especially down the stretch was was really kind of key in spurring you know their run to the tournament um but i think that the the talent that they've got left over uh will will be able to kind of hold that off um and i think um so you know i think that's it's definitely a, a big loss but not you know insurmountable um, kind of the other, the other departures I think weren't super, you know, impactful, you know, Wisconsin loses Jordan Davis, Indiana loses Tamar Bates, kind of guys that never really lived up to kind of expectations. Um, and I think we see that in where they ended up. Davis ended up at, uh, Illinois state and I Bates ended up at, I don't even remember where, 
Um, Missouri? Does that sound right? Yeah, Missouri. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, stuff like that. But I think, I think there are a few newcomers that I think it's worth talking about. I think, um, obviously like Indiana's bringing in Kalel Ware, uh, out of Oregon, who like obviously injury plagued year last year, but I mean, still former McDonald's All-American and you're going to pair him with the, the guy that Mackenzie Mabaco that asked out of his Duke and, uh, national letter of intent. Um, so there's a lot there. Uh, I think, Mike Rhodes bringing in Ace Baldwin is going to be really big, I think, especially because he's a, he's a stalwart. He's been a stalwart for Mike Rhodes in over the last few years, and you kind of need that to help kind of establish the culture that Mike Rhodes is trying to bring. And I think he'll set a really good example. He's a he's a really tough physical player that can that can create for himself on offense, and so he'll help ease the transition somewhat, I think. Uh, and then AJ Store at Wisconsin, um, you know, the Badgers kind of get a scorer and a shooter that they were really kind of lacking uh, over the last couple of years. Um, and he, it'll be interesting to see how he kind of fits in with their current combination of guards. And then finally, I think we got to shout out Kudus Wahab um, coming back to the big 10. Uh, I'm going to see if I can do this. He started his career at Georgetown, then went, I think he played two years there. He played a year at Maryland, year at Maryland, and then went back to Georgetown last season and is now playing for Mike Rhodes at Penn state. Um, so he's, he's, I don't even know how he still has eligibility, but he does somehow, and he's back in the Big Ten, and and that just seems right to me. I also just want to say, I mean, and again, I I, I maybe you can tell I may be a little down on on the talent that's expected to be in the conference next year as a whole, but like I think Ace Baldwin can come in and be like one of the ten best players in the conference, kind of immediately. Um, he 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 won the conference Player of the Year in. Could be for the Atlantic 10, a, right? A 10, like, yeah, yeah, that's what conference they're in. I, I mean, yeah, so he and and I mean, Bay 10's not a mid major, I'd call them a whatever you want to call them, group of five. Like, they're they are a they're a good basketball conference, even though their tourney representation didn't show it last year. And I think he comes in, and I mean, honestly, if it weren't for like the fact that I think Tyson Walker and Hagard are both back at Michigan State, I think he. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to have a chance to be all conference, um, maybe not first team, but um, I, I think he's going to come in and be one of the best players in the conference. So and kudos to Mike Rhodes for bringing him over. I think the other funny uh, addition that I want to call out is Ryan Langboard, who uh, who many of you probably got familiar with um, from Princeton's run in the NCAA tournament. He is transferring from Princeton to Northwestern. So um, not only is he not sacrificing anything in his education, but he's going to come to a school that desperately needs three-point shooting. Um, Northwestern, yes, I should have said this in my last um, set of comments about Ace Baldwin, but Boo Booey coming back, I think, kind of makes them relevant um, and Chase Audis probably is going to leave, but I don't think he's announced anything yet. Uh, so, you know, I think pairing a shooter alongside Bowie, I think is going to be, uh, is going to be good for them to sort of continue the momentum into next year. Um, our last couple of minutes here, just wanted to touch on the, the draft briefly. Um, so w- as we mentioned, we'll do a, We'll do like a, a bigger preview probably coming up in a couple of weeks here. But as, as far as names to watch um, as you're looking through mock drafts here. So, uh, I mean, and Brett, I, I don't know, you know, I'm sure we do look at different mock drafts and stuff, but um, it, shockingly, 
the the Big Ten guy that I'm seeing go first off the board in most of them is Kobe Bufkin. Um, and I think he he a lot of guys actually have him in the lottery. Um, anywhere, you know, 13, 14, um, either to Toronto or New Orleans, um, I think are both potentially realistic landing spots for him. Um, he shot up the boards after, you know, a really, really strong second half of the year this year. And I think the appeal in him is obvious just in his ability to shoot, his ability to handle um, dish and, you know, drive as well. So, you know, I think he's he's going first Big Ten guy off the board in most mocks. And then it's it's sort of there's a lot of variation. Um, Chris Murray, I think a lot of people have in the top 20. Jalen Huchifino, a lot of people have in the top 20. Um, Jet Howard can sort of um, swing from top 20 to between 20 and 30. Uh, the other two guys that I think people have consistently in the first round are Trace Jackson Davis, which that honestly kind of surprises me um, given his inability to shoot. And uh, Bryce Sensenbaugh, who I, I think is a really, really talented player, but needs needs someone needs to like unscrew his head and rescrew it back on with a hammer because I think there's, you know, he's not fully there up there, which we talked a lot about last year. Uh, so I think those are really the six guys that are likely to, you know, show up in, in mock drafts in the first round. We'll talk more about the second round, you know, like when we get to the preview, but maybe Brett, before we wrap things up, your initial thoughts on just what you're seeing out there on, on draft boards and stuff that's, that's out there in the media. Yeah. I mean, I think like you, I've, I've seen Buffkin consistently now is, is kind of in that 11 to 14 range um, with a couple interesting landing spots. I, I mean, I think new Orleans would be a weird fit um, just because of the way their roster is constructed right now. But I think I like, I would really like to see him in Toronto. I think um, he did himself, you know, kind of a lot of a lot of favors throughout the kind of combine process and everything and really just his play down the stretch. He's been, I'd say, one of the biggest risers I've seen uh, just kind of all in, throughout the entire draft. Um, you know, we've, I've talked a lot about Chris Murray. Um, I think that there's a place for him. I think it would actually be kind of funny to see him end up in Sacramento um, since they need shooting and will likely need to replace Harrison Barnes. Um, and Hood Shafino, I think I would personally have him second um over over uh murray uh just because i think we saw more uh, you know he, he obviously had freshman issues but you know i think his ceiling is is significantly higher howard and sensabaugh seem to be very divisive prospects um just kind of based on how they played uh, obviously howard was hurt there's some kind of a couple questions about motor and and things like that sensabaugh um like you said just sometimes is not the smartest player on the floor um, I, you know, so yes, but that's about like has also the ability to score at all three levels. So I think that, you know, there are a lot of teams that can use that. Jackson Davis is weird for me because he's a, an undersized center that doesn't stretch the floor and the market for those guys is not high. Um, you know, I, I think Chuck Hayes and Reggie Evans are not in the league anymore for a reason. Um, I, obviously he's an excellent defender and, and plays bigger than he is, but, I I have a hard time believing that someone wants to waste a first round pick on or maybe not waste waste is the wrong word but someone wants to use a first round pick on him I think um the the Ringers NBA draft guy should be fired um but that's a, that's for a different subject and I think that the only other thing to talk about is obviously Zach Eady and I think he did very well for himself at the combine in terms of showcasing his agility which has been a sticking point even though I think this year really showed that he's he's definitely quicker than people thought he he would be and 
we're seeing more in the NBA. Uh, we're seeing more dominant big men, obviously Embiid, Jokic, Giannis. Um, and obviously Edie's different. He still doesn't really shoot the ball outside the paint. Um, but the combine footage showed him having a bit of a stroke. So I think, you know, if teams, if that's projectable, I could see him, you know, being kind of getting a guarantee in the, in the early to mid second round. Uh, and with the new way that the, the cap is working to, to, provide guaranteed contracts for second round guys. I think that that could be an attractive move if he, if he thinks he's, uh, you know, if, if, if that is an option for him. Yeah. So we'll have a lot more, uh, to come in a couple of weeks on that. I think the last word that we'll leave everyone with, with respect to the draft is just a reminder that Seth Lundy declared for the draft. Um, and he may that might actually get drafted, which would be even funnier. Yeah, I he apparently is another another guy where I think I think I texted Steve once I saw this report because I I wasn't sure to believe it or not. I think in in the in gameplay he went like eight for eleven from three, uh, during the combine and I mean as as we said when he kind of entered the draft like shooting gets you paid and if he can show throughout this process that he's a a shooter I could see him. There are way worse guys to take a second round flyer on. Totally. All right. Thanks to everyone for, for listening. Um, it's the off season, but there's still a lot going on. So we'll try to be with you, not as frequently as we normally are, but semi-frequently so we can keep you all up to speed. Um, thanks for listening and talk to you guys next time.